All right, good morning. Good to see you all today. It's been an action-packed weekend at the Derby. Probably shouldn't talk about that, a little bit of controversy. Uh, but we have the Flying Pig, right? Festivities yesterday, today. And so every year I always want to ask, is there anybody that ran fast enough to still make it to church? Normally we have a couple. I didn't see anybody in the lobby. Was there anybody here? Seriously. This happens. I know our uh, worship leader out at Union, he ran the half. I haven't heard if he actually made it. But uh, all right, well, I guess they didn't make it. So they're, they're not doing well. But uh, we wanted to recognize you because that's pretty awesome if you um, did that. Yesterday, our 11-month-old did the 15-foot crawl. The 15-foot crawl. Um, he's here today. He recovered. He's doing well. And so thank you. That's very, very nice. If you're a first-time guest, you're like, really, they're clapping for that. That's very nice community you found yourself in here. Um, either way, we are glad uh, that you would choose to be here today. Uh, as Matt mentioned, uh, we kicked off uh, a series on faith and doubt coming out of Easter because naturally uh, a lot of people come to Easter that don't normally, and we hope that certain people will come back and decide to continue to search, right, for what means the most in this life. And all of us naturally have a desire to want to lead a meaningful life, and so I don't know about you, but we better make sure we're getting it right. And so we, we have a five-week uh, conversation teaching series where we're looking at some of these, uh, what does it mean to have faith? And what do I do about my doubts? And is there a God at all? So it's a pretty significant conversation. So let me pray for us and we'll get into it today. God, in these moments as we uh, gather here, all of us, uh, different levels of uh, maybe motivation or stage of life or circumstance, maybe this morning was a frenzy, uh, all of us, I pray that we can find a sense of calm understanding that you are here and we have the opportunity to show up to you. And we thank you for meeting us where we are, no matter where we are today in our faith, that uh, you are a God who always understands, you're a God who always pursues and never gives up. And so I pray uh, for clarity, uh, for encouragement and direction today for every single one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So every single week, every single service, we have someone uh, as a first-time guest. So to catch you up on uh, what we navigated last week and talking about doubt, we established whether or not it was actually okay to have doubt. Unfortunately, oftentimes, people enter into a church culture and feel the inclination or maybe even pressure to appear to have it all together. Well, hopefully we are not that kind of church. But unfortunately, we can come into a place and look around, and it seems like everybody else gets it. They've arrived. Their kids are well-behaved. And uh, wow, I hope to one day get to that place where I hear from God, and I'm rock solid in my faith as well. But it seems like, based on what I'm looking as I'm looking around, that I'm not quite there yet. The reality is, whether you have never believed that there is a God, or you've been walking with Jesus Christ for decades, all of us have doubts. Where we stop every now and then, maybe often, some more often than others, and wonder, is there more than what we see around us? Like, could there actually be a God? Like, we gather here, right, and we, we sing to God, we read scripture that we believe came from God, but every now and then, we, we, we ask some of those big questions like, is what I'm saying, is what I'm singing, is it actually landing anywhere? <laughs> is there somebody out there? And sometimes we feel unnecessary guilt decades into our relationship with Christ for having some of those thoughts, having some of those feelings. And unfortunately, we feel like, well, I better keep them to myself because it seems like everybody else around me, they're not thinking that. And we find ourselves in certain uh, groups or circumstances where we feel like the outsider. So last week, we spent some time kind of you know, taking away some of those barriers so that we can realize that we all are in the same position of longing and sometimes even wondering, right, zigzagging through this life looking for meaning and purpose and understanding, you know what, God can take our doubts. 
He can take our doubts. We'll never fully arrive in a place where uh, we figured it all out. And in fact, last week and this week, we'll continue to talk about sometimes we get frustrated with God's design. Because we have a God who designed faith. He designed a relationship with him where we would be purposefully limited for the sake of faith, having a foundation of trust. Because think about this. If we get to a point where we can fully explain away God, we should probably be worried. Because we've inevitably created God in our own image one that we can understand, one that we can control. And we've essentially eliminated all faith, risk, and trust, which is his purposeful design for relationship in the first place. So that's what we established last week in understanding, yes, it's okay to have doubts. God can take my doubt. And even more so, doubt is not even an obstacle to faith or relationship with God. It's an opportunity for deeper faith, which we're going to pick up where we left off in that, that conversation, that theme last week. So God's purposeful design is that we would be limited. And again, that can be frustrating. But it's, doubt is a normal response. It's a normal response. It's one that's meant to lead us further into a surrendered relationship with Christ. Alistair McGrath said this, of course we have difficulty in trying to understand God and the world, but this does not mean our faith is misplaced. We need to understand what those limits are Because in the end, doubt arises partly on account of our unrealistic expectations of certainty. Now, again, this can be frustrating because you might come in, you're skeptical, your arms crossed, like, okay, give me the answers. You're looking for fullness of certainty. Last week we talked about if we aim at the head and and, and completely miss the heart, then we miss God's design completely. The faith and trust that comes from a surrendered posture uh, leading with our heart. Answers are important. We look for those. Now, if we were to go around the room and you know, we could ask, hey, here are your uh, top you know, spiritual giants, examples, you know, that not even that you know, but that you've heard of, many of us, if not all, would probably mention uh, a lady by the name of Mother Teresa, lived an amazing life of faith, uh, passed away in 1997, at the end of decades uh, of ministry spent in one of the most impoverished areas in the world, Calcutta, India. And she worked with some of the poorest of the poor, and you look at her life, and you're like, that's a spiritual giant. And we imagine her having unbelievable moments with God where the light's shining down and like, wow, you are the chosen one, right? We imagine her having some of the strongest faith. And so what I'm about to read to you is a quote by Mother Teresa, actually something that she wrote to the archbishop she was reporting to, which is a very open and honest, vulnerable reflection of her faith. And it's probably unexpected. Mother Teresa, wow, she's awesome. That's the same person said this. And then pay attention to your perception of the kind of faith that she had. Here's what she said. There is so much contradiction in my soul, such deep longing for God, so deep that it is painful, a suffering continual and yet not wanted by God, repulsed, empty, no faith, no love, no zeal. Souls hold no attraction, heaven means nothing, To me, it looks like an empty place. The thought of it means nothing to me, and yet this torturing longing for God. Pray for me, please, that I keep smiling at him in spite of everything, for I am only his, so he has every right over me. I am perfectly happy to be nobody, even to God. Now, at first glance, you're like, oh, no, Mother Teresa's going off the rails, you know, when it comes to her faith. Like, oh, I have a different perception of her now. But I would hope that you would land in the opposite direction and realizing Mother Teresa is a real person and I can relate to that. 
And this is somebody that God is using, someone that he has used uh, in an influential way where she'll, she'll be known for centuries to come. And here, what we see really, I think, is a, a template, a model of what it looks like to live in the longing. This disciplined approach to pursuing God in the midst of not having all the answers, in the midst of wondering if he's even there at all. Right? She's being fully vulnerable in bringing this to the surface and showing us the discipline of embracing our longing, we all have this longing, and not giving up hope even in the midst of hopelessness. Because the reality is hope isn't a feeling. It shouldn't be. Merely an emotional feeling. Hope is not a strategy. Instead, hope is the discipline of holding on to the promise of God that he's holding on to us. This is the essence of faith. We can't always trust our feelings. It's not an automatic equation that God is close just because we feel a certain way emotionally. So we're going to look at Psalm chapter 77, a chapter written by a guy named Asaph. He was a man who was losing his faith, but he bounced back. Maybe you can relate. He felt like God ignored his prayer. So he's asked God some pretty direct questions, which I love. You're going to hear six direct questions that he asked, and have we gotten to that point in the midst of our longing where we just bring it to God? Now, throughout Scripture, if you read the Bible, it's great how many examples there are of people who doubted. They really struggled in their faith. And we see a God who's quite doubt tolerant. Why? Because honesty will always be primary when it comes to our journey back to God. Here we go, Psalm 77, verse 1. Asaph said, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked. Here it is, six questions. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Those are some significant questions. Like, whoa, is he offending God? He's not. Right? This should give us full freedom, full permission to bring our doubts to God, which is the first step in navigating our doubts. Bring your doubts to God. All of your questions. See, what, what we see here, and we mentioned this last week, this is a sign of sincere doubt which is healthy. That's why doubt is not always an obstacle to faith. It's an opportunity for deeper faith. You can have skeptical doubt where you kind of come in and be like, all right, I'm looking for all the reasons not to believe that there is a God as opposed to sincere doubt, which is healthy. I'm looking for signs of God, but I'm embracing my sense of desperation and longing, right, that I'm not there yet. And I do have questions. I'm going to bring them. But that's the kind of doubt that's driving us to God. Right, that's the benefit of having doubt is it drives us to God. We don't have the opportunity to lean on our own understanding. And again, this is how God designed us, for our weaknesses leading to a surrendered life. Understand we can't stand on our own. Maybe you've had conversations like I have with people who are looking for reasons not to believe and they're skeptical about Christianity and they'll say things like, well, Christianity is just a crutch. I'll be like, absolutely. We will never be able to stand on our own. Jesus Christ, at the very least, is our crutch. So faith, right, we all get this. It's often a fight. There is no coasting. 
There's no choosing life with Jesus Christ and it not being a fight. You know, at first glance, you're like, I don't know if I'm interested in that, right? If you're not a believer, like, I don't, I'm not interested in fights. But we have to fight for our faith. It's a wrestling match sometimes, even with God. Walking with Jesus, faith is not read a few verses in your Bible and then go conquer the world. You're good to go. We have to understand that it's an everyday longing, desperate longing, which sometimes looks like wrestling with our doubts. So we need to write them down. We need to bring them to God, wrestle with him a little bit if necessary, and even write down how you want God to help you. Again, be forthright and honest with him. I remember back in 2012, took a trip to Israel, the place where Jesus walked. And so naturally, you have high spiritual expectations, right? It's like, man, we're looking for an injection, a boost. Man, this is going to be, you know, memorable to say the least and just going to be uh, spiritually unbelievable because you're standing, you're looking at the place that Jesus did his ministry. And I was in kind of in a dry place, you know, when it came to my faith right now and navigating, you know, certain circumstances where I had questions for God. And I remember a few hours uh, after we landed there, we're on the bus, and uh, our leader of what is called a spiritual pilgrimage, another word used, like, oh, wow, this better be spiritual, right? You have big expectations. And Mark Zeese, he used to go to church here. He's a professor down at Johnson, moved to uh, Tennessee a few years ago, unbelievable Bible teacher. But he made sure he framed our trip in the right uh, perspective. He said, oftentimes you can come to a place like Israel where Jesus walked and have huge expectations because you believe that God is more here than he was there. And so sometimes that's what we do. We get so desperate, like, okay, I gotta find uh, the magic answer, right, the right relationship. I gotta look around at what people are doing. I gotta, I'm gonna go to Israel. If I go to where, where Jesus walked, then that's it. I immediately translates to a strong faith. And so that was a trip that I journaled, maybe more than any other trip that I've ever taken. And because I was navigating certain circumstances and I'm kind of in a dry spot, it was very honest expression of longing to God, like, God, what are you doing? And it was a little bit upside down because here I am. Everything's supposed to fall into place. <laughs> I'm in Israel. I'm walking through Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Like all the things that I've read about for so many years. Well, shouldn't just everything kind of fall together and make sense and, and be perfectly packaged together? And then I can go back and be like, well, I got my spiritual injection, went to Israel. I recommend it like a pill to everyone else. That's not how a relationship with Christ works. And again, this can be frustrating sometimes because we want it to be nice and clean and put together and packaged. Be like, all right, I've got my Christian faith and it's all good. I'm so glad that everything's working out in my life. But there's a wrestling. This is, again, it's God's design. Verse 10 in Psalm 77 is the turning point. This is where Asaph gets. This is what I love about this chapter. He shows us how we can navigate this and not end with questions. He says this, then I thought to this, what's this? His own doubts, his own questions. To this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. So he's basically doubting his own doubts. And this is the place that we all have to get, is the thought that I have now, even the feeling that I have now about God, toward God, whether I believe that he's there or not, is it consistent with the God that I've known my entire life? Now, this is the moment where, you know, if you don't, if you're not currently walking with Christ, you're skeptical, you're not a believer, you're like, oh, okay, so my, my life doesn't actually begin until I choose Jesus Christ and he takes interest in my life. Technically, that's new life and that does begin there, but this is so important to understand. God's doing a work in your life even before you choose him. He's pursuing you now. And so this isn't a conversation for just those of us that have been walking with Christ. You need to understand that you can also, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can look back at your life 
and, and see that God has sustained you in ways that you didn't even realize, in ways you might not have even been interested in having a sustainer, but he had purpose in mind for your life. And so Asaph, he's taking inventory. He's taking back, taking a full view of not just the singular moment of feeling or circumstance and saying, who has God been over the course of my life? We do this, don't we? Something happens in our life and we say, nope, God doesn't care about me. There's not even a God. And we can isolate our interpretation of faith in God's presence based on one individual moment or circumstance. So here's Asaph making the deliberate decision to appeal his own doubts because what he is saying and thinking is not consistent with the God that he has known. So the second step in navigating doubt is remembering, the discipline of remembering well how God has worked in your life. Verse 11, he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. It's easy to forget, isn't it? Verse 12, I will consider all your works, all your works, and meditate on all your mighty deeds. See, we often doubt because of a failure to remember who God has been in our life, don't we? And so oftentimes, that's an injection to my faith, is I just got to stop, right? He uses the word meditate, spend some time thinking back, like life might not be good now, but have you ever had the thought of, if there wasn't a God, where might I be right now? How much worse could it have been? <laughs> All of us have lived out the consequences of our decisions. And we know that we're responsible for where we are sometimes when we find ourselves in a bad situation. But wow, if there were, wasn't a God, how much worse would it have been? And so I think back at my life, you know, it's two significant areas, you know, relationships and career. You know, where I was so dead set on the person who I thought was the one, right? And I'm 18 years old, going to college, and oh, there she is. Hello, there's the one. Can't name names because these things get recorded. <laughs> Not that she would ever watch it or anything. I spent the first three years where I was like, oh, man, if, if she ever, you know, said, hey, I, I think we should get married. Like, done deal. How about tomorrow, Right. Well, there's this little thing called infatuation, and sometimes it can even last three years. And not to go into details, to take up uh, too much of your time, something you don't care about, but my senior year, there was a circumstance that happened that literally woke me up, you know, and kind of showed me this picture of my future, and I just realized, obviously a lot more details to the story, this isn't the ideal person if I'm feeling called to ministry that would be a great partner in ministry. So that set me on a totally different trajectory, like, God, thank you for saving me. Obviously, I had the blinders on because I knew what I wanted, and then shortly after that, I thought that my life, my career should go one trajectory, and so he caused me to fail in a specific area because he kept trying to push me into ministry, and so that's what led me to First Church. Now, almost 18 years later, I have no idea where I would be if it weren't for God interceding in my life and sustaining me even when I wasn't interested. Because I knew exactly what I wanted, how I thought my life should go. So a remedy to doubt in the present is the discipline of remembering well. What has happened in the past. How God has brought us through and will continue to. Verse 12. He says, I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. This is a deep reflection that takes time. It's necessary for remembering well. So here, here's, you know, when I was thinking about how can I capture what I hope that we would all take away today. Here, here it is. The consistency we can count on when walking with God is not the strength of our faith, but instead the faithfulness of God. See, the reality is his presence and provision in our lives does not reside on the rails of our roller coaster faith. And it is a roller coaster. When we're living out a relationship with God based purely on emotion, 
See, the consistency we can count on when walking with God is not the strength of our faith, because today it could be strong, tomorrow it could be weak, simply based on emotion alone, but instead the faithfulness of God. I mean, I saw this play out all throughout youth ministry, because we do camps and conferences and highly emotional experiences. We'd have extended time with the kids, and you would want to have significant moments where you would invite them to choose Jesus Christ, their Savior, this definitive life-changing moment that's the most important decision you'll ever make. Now, when we would have these moments in extended periods of time, the kids are hanging out together, uh, you only need pretty much one middle school girl to start crying. Game over. Floodgates are open. And so every middle school girl is crying, right? At Happy Hills Camp, right? Back in the day is where we were. And yeah, that's just the nature of the deal. And so then you have middle schoolers looking around. Oh, they're crying. They're crying. I better start crying. If I, if I don't cry, then Jesus isn't with me, right? And so I, rem I vividly remember multiple times after these camps and after these conferences where we'd come back and we'd have our usual Sunday gatherings, right? Doesn't have the significant emotional injection, right? That spiritual high that we start to chase. Like, all right, hey kids, heads up, right? It's the discipline, daily pursuit of God. That's the substance. That's the sustenance of our relationship with him. Yes, we love those opportunities, those moments that kind of wake us up to reality, but you better never become dependent on that or you, else you will try to build a faith on something that has no solid foundation if we're chasing emotion alone. Now, naturally, you know, we come to church and there are certain things that resonate, whether it's a certain song or scripture and you experience, right, you're just more emotionally in tune. Well, that, that counts as well. That's why we have the opportunity, the capacity for the depth of emotion. God designed us that way. But we, our faith will never be primarily dependent on the level of emotion that we can obtain. Why We could walk out of church and be like, oh, I didn't really get much out of that. And totally miss the fact that God was cultivating underneath the surface this discipline of gathering, of showing up, of why we primarily come to church. It's to bless him, to make God glad. And our faith is strengthened even when we aren't in tune with our emotion sometimes. This is important to know, especially if you're navigating doubt to the point of numbness where you feel like your feet are in concrete and you're just like, I don't, I don't what, what, what are we, we're just going through the motions, yeah, going to church, what we're doing. Like, no, you're, you're meeting with God and he's doing something in you. And it's never going to be primarily dependent on your motivation for the moment, for the day of what's right in front of you. Charles Spurgeon once said this, when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. We look for evidence. God, where are you in this moment? And sometimes we can't figure it out. And so we're left with trusting God and his promises, his heart. See, what we see with Asaph is often when we look for a remedy to our suffering, God instead is looking to drive us even deeper into dependence on him. That's not fun. Like, God, just get me out of the suffering. But in the suffering, in the struggle, is where the growth happens. So know that there is meaning in your struggle. In the fact that sometimes you struggle, it's actually one of the signs, greatest signs of a growing faith. Think about this practically. People who aren't growing aren't struggling. <laughs> And so when you sit with your small group, when, you, when you, you're talking with a, a friend or, or someone you're kind of opening up with about something that you're struggling with, you feel vulnerable, you feel like you're, you're messing up, you're missing the point. Well, think about it this way. People who aren't struggling aren't growing because they're indifferent, they're passive, kind of have a whatever mindset about life itself and even God. So when we choose to enter into that vulnerable moment and say, I'm really struggling with this, that's an expression of a desire to get better, to be more connected to God. And there's growth, there's meaning in the struggle itself. One author said this, prayer is both wrestling with God in the darkness 
and resting in the stillness. There is a time to argue and complain to God, but there is also a time to submit. Biblical faith, which he's referring to what we see throughout Scripture, sees submission to the will of God coming after the attempt to discover his will through heartfelt supplication, heartfelt asking, those questions that Asaph asked. He said, prayer is both a pleading with God that he will hear and act upon our requests and a trusting surrender to God in the confidence that he will act in his own time and way. That's frustrating, isn't it, sometimes? But the confidence comes only through the struggle. See, I hope that this is encouraging to you because we are, if you haven't found yourself there struggling yet, you will eventually. This is why faith often feels like a fight. It's actually supposed to because it is in the fight that God is strengthening us in ways we don't even realize. So there's growth happening in the struggle because the struggle is the means to faith. I mean, if you, if you ever tried to get in shape, you know, it, it involves working hard, a struggle, a sweat. It's not a good time. When you experience the reward later, often not in the meantime. And so I have a membership over at the Y, and I have, I've had this heel issue for a while. And uh, I typically like to run. I've always run. Um, but I've had to resort to riding a bike. Now, I'm not saying you can't, you know, get a great workout on a bike. Maybe I'm just not as good at riding a bike as some of you. But I have this contrast. I know what I feel like when I'm running. I feel like I'm accomplishing more than when I'm riding a bike. And so I think it was this past Monday morning, I'm riding the bike and I'm looking over at this guy. He's at least 75 years old and he's just going to town running. Like that's a guy that's doing work. I'm just here kind of riding along, looking at my screen like, oh man, this is quite the struggle, right? You know, wiping that bead of sweat. Like, oh man, I'm probably burn five calories. Probably burn more calories walking into the gym than I did riding this bike, you know? I know I'm probably offending, you know, the serious bike riders out there that are doing it right. You can coach me later. But I'm looking over at this guy who's flat out getting work done. He's got a greater reward than I do. Why? Because he's struggling more. He's embracing the discipline. He didn't look like he was having a good time. But I guarantee he felt the reward afterwards because he entered into the struggle because the reward was worth it. And in the meantime, right, that's part of physically working out. You don't even experience the reward right away. And so you're cultivating that ground, knowing that you are actually getting somewhere even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it. And so it is with faith. God's doing a work in us when we continue to show up to him, even when we're not motivated to do so. He's right there. Author Wilbur Rees once wrote, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like $3 worth of God, please. That's funny, but that's a dangerous place that many people can be inclined to get. We hear about the God who saves us from hell and saves us to heaven. It's like, wow, let me add that to my life. Hey, you can't download Jesus. Like this, we're not talking about microwaving your faith. We're like, wow, Christianity sounds like a good idea, a good insurance policy. I'm interested in that. Hey, buddy Jesus, hey, come join me in the life that I want to live. No, it's a posture of surrender where we're not... You know, asking Jesus to come into our life. No, we're giving up our life and entering into the life that he has in mind for us. It can be a dangerous thing when we consider what does faith mean for our lives when we look at it as something that is so clearly packaged, something that can be bought just like everything else in the world and added to the life that we want to continue to pursue living. I mean, Jesus himself says, 
pick up your cross and follow me. Well, even Jesus himself couldn't carry the cross on his own. That's not going to be a good time. This is his design for faith. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. We have to have a proper understanding of what it literally means to walk with God. It's always going to involve a struggle. One of the primary reasons why is because we're living in a world that was never meant to be our home, lest we ever get too comfortable. A faith that is real is willing to wrestle with God and fight to keep the faith. Last verse we're going to look at today, 77.13. Asaph says, your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, this is a question that you have to get to. As you try to figure out the meaning of life, if there's a God, what purpose does he have in mind for me? If not this God that we're talking about, then what? Then who? And so I'm going to lean into, as we close out, a little bit of the rational side of understanding the existence of God. Think about this. If nothing or no one else can satisfy the longing in our souls, and we all have this natural longing, not a church thing, <laughs> It's, every, it's how we're wired. We have a longing for more. If nothing or no one can satisfy this natural longing in our souls or reconcile the questions that we have when we look upon this world, then aren't we left with the only rational option that faith in the one who knows better than me might be the only thing that makes sense? Again, why would I have this longing at all? Most of us would probably agree, hopefully all of us would agree, that one of the greatest tragedies in the history of the world uh, was the Holocaust. And unfortunately, that was uh, unbelievably devastating over a long period of time. And because it was over a long period of time, there were several stories of perseverance and unbelievable survival stories that came out of that. I came across one this past week. In France, a Jewish family, they were hidden by some concerned French nationals in the basement of their house. The Jewish family waited and waited for their deliverance. At the end of the war, these words were found scribbled on the wall of that basement. Three lines. I believe in the sun, even when it does not shine. I believe in love, even when it is not given. I believe in God, even when he is silent. You talk about people asking, where is God in all of this? How could anything this unbelievably devastating happen in our world? What's the evidence of God in this moment? I believe it's the open door provided by the French. Why would we ever have the capacity within any of us to go to those lengths to help someone? You ever, you ever thought about why we even have that desire? Back in 2010, I was in Nairobi, Kenya uh, with one of our mission partners. And some of you have been there as well. You've seen some pictures. Worst poverty I've ever seen by far in my entire life. Kids running through the streets, you know, jumping over sewage, running through uh, the middle of the dirt road. And uh, in their, their shacks that they call, you know, their homes because it is their home. You can't imagine ever living in that condition um, even for a day, and uh, these people, right, just having unbelievable perseverance and perspective, and uh, this shook my faith a little bit. I'm like, wow, you know, contrasting America with these conditions, you talk about a world being way out of balance, and when I came back from that trip, I was over here at the Kroger Burlington. For the rest of my life, I'll probably never forget this moment where I was just absolutely paralyzed as soon as I walked through the door. Just came back from a 10-day trip, and I'm looking at row after row, aisle after aisle, of food and six options of everything, right? In the abundance, I was just overwhelmed. I'm like, how can this be? This is so wrong. And then I was, and so, right, my faith is a little bit shaken in that moment. I have some questions that I'm bringing to God. And in that moment, he gave me perspective. Like, Darren, why were you there at all? 
because of an organization called FAME, a medical mission that goes throughout the world in impoverished areas and brings medical personnel and provides medical services for free. Why in the world would we do such a thing? <laughs> what, what is it within us that gives us the motivation to look upon a world and, and to, want to reconcile what is broken, to enter into those moments and do something about it? See, we are the ones to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. We are to be the evidence of God in a broken and hopeless world. This was God's design all along. God, where are you? Where are we? You, me, the church. When Jesus conquered death, he literally came back from the dead. A short time after, he leaves. I think that's a bad idea. You're walking around having just beat death. You should be on like the speaking circuit. Yeah, I'm the guy. He can accomplish a lot of things, but he tells his disciples, he says to us, I'm leaving. He's going to ascend, be with his Father in heaven, and he says this, you're going to do even greater things than I because I'm leaving my spirit. That's unbelievable. We are to be the primary evidence of God in this world. This is the intent of Serve Week, right? We just wrapped up, wrapping up at the end of today, eight straight days of going out to the tri-state and really confusing people in the best way possible. These are people who have never met us. Many have never heard of First Church. We're making beds and, you know, going and, and, and encouraging people and, and doing really kind of irrational tasks, and they're wondering why. Because God, because we have it within us to look upon a world and want things to be better, because he put that in us, we are the primary evidence of God himself. How do we know there's a God? You, me, the church, postured towards self-sacrifice for the sake of the world. It's what we're called to. Again, why would we ever be inclined to such a way if we weren't created purposefully for it? So may we remember the good works of God in our lives. Start there. Take inventory. Look back at how God has sustained you and brought you to where you are. And may we then go and do good in a world looking for God. Together, all of us, embracing our desperation, understanding that our calling is to live in the longing and will never arrive this side of heaven. And that's okay because God promises to sustain us along the way. We get to experience the fullness of his presence one day. Let's pray. God, as we consider your aim for our lives, I pray that we uh, just live out a sense of conviction knowing that you're closer than we could ever even imagine, that you really are carrying us in this moment even if we don't feel like it. So God, as we uh, gather as a church, I pray that we will live out the mission that you have in mind for us, that we will be lights. When people wonder where are you, they'll have stories of how they've been encouraged, they've been loved, they've been shown grace because we've lived out our gratitude for the grace that you've shown us. And so we anticipate those opportunities to share that kind of joy and good news to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.